This is 261 Fearless Voices, proudly presented by Bose, the podcast dedicated to fearless women around the world. So in this episode, we're going to talk to the best-selling author, Lisa Jackson. Lisa's latest book is called Your Pace or Mine, What Running Taught Me About Life, Laughter and Coming Last. It is a book that will make you laugh out loud, cry and most importantly, give you an overwhelming urge to reach for your trainers and go running slowly because Lisa's philosophy is that it isn't about the time you do, it's the time you have. And as she's run over a hundred marathons, she knows a thing or two about what it takes to cover and enjoy those 26.2 miles. As well as being an author and a journalist, Lisa is a clinical hypnotherapist and hypnobirthing teacher, helping women to overcome their fears, whether that be an everyday phobia or the prospect of childbirth. So it's my absolute pleasure to introduce Lisa and say thank you for joining us, Lisa. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks, Juliet. Uh, so, Lisa, we usually start by getting people mm. to explain what they look like because this is done as an audio podcast. So, we can mm. kind of picture you as you talk. Can you can you describe your appearance? <laughs> well, I'm probably the, one of the curviest runners um, you're ever going to meet, uh, and probably also one of the smiliest. Um, I can't help but um, just. Always when I'm out running, I'm smiling to myself. I must look like a crazy lady um, just because I feel so privileged to be able to run despite being um, so slow and really desperately unathletic. Um, I've got so much joy out of running. And every time I run, I feel when I, mean, I went for a run today and I just felt so proud um, of overcoming my fear of running and getting out there and um, enjoying it. So, yeah, I'm smiley and curvy. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Um, and, and Lisa, what does courage and fearlessness mean to you? Can you define it for us? Um, I think everyone has a lot of fear, um, and it's quite normal to be fearful of lots of things. Um, and so to me, being courageous is acknowledging that it's normal to be fearful, mm-hmm. but then also taking yourself out of your comfort zone and into your stretch zone. So just gradually finding things that challenge you and doing them. And that way your stress zone just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And so I've just been doing dabbled in running really. Um, and my aunt told me that she got to place a white nine to two. And um, I kind of, the idea of doing something that had the word marathon in it, I know it wasn't a marathon, it was only a half marathon, but it was so wonderfully exciting, but so utterly out of reach. Mm -hmm. I I just couldn't believe she'd even cross her mind to invite me to do something like that. But I entered, um, just my aunt was a very persuasive person. (laughs) And I just remember, I I left it really to the last minute. I have actually no idea how I got in. And all of a sudden, the envelope popped through the door. And I remember opening it and saying, congratulations, you've been accepted. And I just leapt up in the air. I mean, honestly, both arms, it was real arms in the moment, arms in the air moment. Um, I was so excited, but before I even landed, I was thinking, oh my God, I've got to run this thing now. Um, But I did a lot of training for that. And I think crossing that finish line with my aunt, when we were blue with cold, we actually looked like we were drunk because we were so cold, we couldn't walk in a straight line. (laughs) I was, I ran it in a vest and um, we had, you know, no jackets. It was raining and we had taken no snacks with us. So I was really, really low blood sugar as well. 
and the sleet was coming in, um, you know, off the, the sea in North Shield. Um, and we sort of staggered to a charity tent and just begged them to let us in um, and just give us shelter because we were really in a bad way. Um, and we just sat on the bus after that. And I just couldn't believe it. The bus took hours to get back to the city center. And as we sat there, I thought every mile that these wheels are turning on, I've run with my own two little feet. And it was just a feeling of, of just breaking out um, of a concept that I'd always had of myself of being unathletic and a non-achiever in any kind of physical, you know, sphere. So that was a real moment of fearlessness. And then obviously the same thing happened when I ran the London Marathon um, six months later, or a few few months later, I can't remember exactly the time scale. Um, and then the final kind of hurdle of fear was the one about coming last. Because like many people um, you know, my aunt and I would always say to each other, we'll enter, but, you know, we'll just hope for the best. Just as long as we don't come last, it'll be a fine. And I think that was a huge barrier for me. And then I just always dreaded it. I just thought, I, 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 I don't know, it was just one of those bogeymen. And then um, I finally came last. And I can't remember, it was after quite a few marathons. Um, it was the South Downs Marathon. And um, and I got the biggest cheer, I'm sure, of the day. Um, people were just slapping me on the back, um, cheering me in. Um, I just felt so elated. Um, and I just thought, I'll never have that fear again, ever, ever, ever. And thank God I didn't have that fear because <laughs> I ended up coming last another 24 times um, in other marathons. Um, and every time it's just been an absolute joy. Um, I'm sure the, the person being able to come last just means you don't fear failure. I mean, I don't, and now I'll try lots of new things in my life. Um, I recently, you know, retrained as a, as a celebrant as well, a wedding celebrant, um, because I love, you know, working with people. And I think before I would have been really apprehensive about, you know, at the age of 51, um, just putting a new string to my bow. And now I just think, what's the worst that can happen? Um, so I've just, you know, lost that fear of failure um, and gained a lot of courage along the way. So that, that fearlessness that you gained through your running experiences sounds like it's had a quite a big impact on your career and life generally then. Absolutely. I mean, I was a sub-editor for many, many years. Um, and that is a kind of position where you just fix other people's mistakes. Um, you never get any credit for the changes you make and the mistakes you spot. You only get blamed for mistakes you didn't make, but mistakes you didn't spot. So it's a very powerless kind of job. And it's also quite solitary. You don't end up, you know, you know, meeting people. Um, and all along, I wanted to do something else. Um, and what was difficult was, um, as a sub-editor, if you wanted to write something, you always had to get permission. And it's quite a big divide between sub-editors and writers, and they're not that keen to give sub-editors the chance to write um, in many magazines. And so it was interesting that once I started running marathons, I gave myself permission to run marathons. And most people would probably say, look at you. You don't look like a marathon runner. You're very slow to book on running which before would have been inconceivable because, A, I had hardly ever written for magazines and I wasn't an expert on running. Um, and then I just realized that all you have to do is know experts who are running, uh, who are you know experts on running. Um, so I ended up writing a book called um, Running Made Easy with a colleague of mine, and that sold over 100,000 copies. It's actually sold 110,000 now. Um, and it became you know the go-to book for anyone who wanted to start running right from – you know, the very most basic level. Um, so that, you know, led to my um, being made contributing editor on, on Women's Running Magazine. Um, I've since written another book called Adore Yourself Slim and my latest book, as you said, Your Pace or Mine. And I've actually just finished uh, writing a travel book um, called Travel Seekness, 
you know, what um, backpacking taught me about life, death, and toxic toilets. Um, <laughs> and before, I would never have considered the idea that, I mean, you know, I don't have a, a training, I haven't been trained as a writer, but now I'll just have a go at anything. Um, and then also I changed career completely and became a hypnotherapist and hypnobirthing teacher. And I really have to say to you that without that confidence that marathon running gave me, that I could do things I never dreamed possible. I really don't think any of those other things would have been possible. I would still be a sub-editor, you know, feeling trapped and uncreative. Whereas now, um, you know, I really feel I'm reaching my full potential in um, every area of my life, helping people to, you know, change their habits, inspiring people through my books um, to take up running and not worry about it if they're, you know, not fast enough or slim enough or um, good enough. Um, so yeah, I, I think you know I have to, I have running to thank for my whole life really at the moment, <laughs> except for my husband. <laughs> yes, I mean people often say you know running changes lives, and and that's such a good example of <laughs> of, oh. of the knock on effect it can have in all areas of of your life when you develop that confidence in yourself, isn't it? Absolutely. Mm. Um, so just thinking about. Um, fearless fearless women because you know clearly you are one um and then we think about culture and television and movies and books and women are often portrayed as being weak um and fearful and in need of male protection um do, do you think that genuinely women are more fearful than men or is it just something we've been conditioned into thinking unfortunately we are less physically strong than men and for that reason, we naturally have to be more careful because we're not able to defend ourselves, um, you know, as much as a, you know, we're not evenly matched if it came to some kind of physical um, confrontation. Um, but in every other area, um, women are just as strong as men, and if not stronger, I think, you know, you only have to look at women um, who, you know, do incredible things um you know jane tomlinson all the wonderful fundraising that she did um despite having terminal cancer um women who fight for the the health of their children um women who nurse dying relatives or you know parents with um, alzheimer's um to see how strong women are so i think you know what we lack in um physical strength we definitely make up for in emotional strength and you know, you'll see that in hospitals, the caring, um, you know, people at bedsides. Um, often men feel very uncomfortable in those situations and women, women will just march in, be there and be strong. So um, I think it's it's a very unfortunate thing that we're not physically matched, you know, evenly matched. Um, and I think that's where a lot of that stereotype comes from. And, and how, I mean, a big question really, but how can we change that stereotype? Because, you know, young girls today still are, exposed to this this prejudice how, how can we how can we change that well I've always been a feminist um, since a very very young age um, long before it was fashionable to be a feminist again um, and I think we just have to lead our lives as if there are no limits on us 
Um, I remember being, you know, I went to a very, very progressive um, school in South Africa and our headmistress just told us we could be anyone we wanted to be. And that was the kind of message I got from my parents as well. I mean, they, they really thought I was going to be prime minister or swim the channel. I mean, those are the kind of things my parents thought would be quite normal aspirations for me. And I think when you think like that, um, you you behave like that, um, you know, as you grow up. Um, I think women need to be strong and be seen to be strong. They need to talk more about what they do, because I think a lot of women don't speak enough about their achievements. Um, I think if I've ever been in a, in a situation where there are men and women in the same um, environment, um, men are much more open about, without feeling boastful, talking about their achievements, being assertive, and women tend to step back. And there is that syndrome of if a woman starts speaking, somehow she's shrill or, you know, she's mouthing it off or something. And that's a very strange thing. You, um, I've had encountered this quite a lot, actually, where I've listened very quietly. Believe it or not, I do sometimes listen. I've um, <laughs> listened very quietly to someone for, you know, half an hour. And I've made one comment. Um, and that person has has tried to put me down and say, a male, a man, um, saying, God, do you ever stop talking? That's happened to me quite a few times. And so um, I think it's very interesting that men feel they have the right to speak and women often don't. And so I think women should be um, speaking more and holding the floor. Um, I think another thing that women can do is helping other women to be strong. I think the sisterhood that women can build among themselves is, is so important. Um, and unfortunately, some women think that the way to get to the top is to trample on other women. Um, and I think that that is the wrong approach. I think we really have a duty to each other to support each other, help each other. And it doesn't mean that because you're helping someone else to be successful, it makes you less successful. Um, so I think mentoring is very, very um, important. Um, and another thing, as a feminist, I really feel women have to act equal. And this comes down to very simple things, like, as I said, of um, first dates. My husband and I watch it um, quite compulsively when it's on. And I'm always shocked by the number of women who don't pay for their half of the meal. And I, I just find that, you know, that kind of behavior is the kind of thing that entrenches an attitude in men that women have to be taken care of and protected. And it sets a very, very bad example. So that my blood boils. I love that program, but my blood boils <laughs> every time a man pays for a woman. I just think, you know, you both need to take financial risk on this encounter um, and act equal. So I think women need to pull their socks up on that score. I don't think they um, do enough there. Um, but I think it's the main thing is the sisterhood and, um, and looking for opportunities to help other women. And I've definitely encountered that in the running world. Um, people have been so generous to me, um, so kind to me, supported me, encouraged me along the way. Um, and, you know, I'd like to see that in, in other um, areas of life too. So why, why do we need all these brave and fearless women in the world? What, what do you think that would bring to society if women did have a a more equal, fearless footing? Well, I think, you know, every society consists of 50% men and 50% women. <laughs> so, um, or, you know, more or less that balance. Um, and so society needs the perspective of women. We bring a unique perspective. The way we think is different to the way um, men think. And um, together we're stronger. I think the world needs women because we are so emotionally wired um, to to actually be the people who fight for what's right. Um, I think 
we may feel um, bad in situations that we see, for example, on television, like the tragic events in, in Syria, for example, and be motivated to do something about it. We actually respond to that on a very emotional level. And I think that really with the ability women have to empathize and put themselves in other people's shoes is, is a wonderful quality and, and should be harnessed more. Um, and I think, you know, society needs brave women to fight for what's right, but also to bring up courageous children. Um, you know, the world is a very complex place now, and it's very tempting for, I think, all of us to live in a state of fear and to worry about the future with Brexit and what's going on in America and um, well, all over the world. There's so much conflict um, and uncertainty. Um, and if we live in fear, it is a terrible place to be living in. It, it's a prison of our own making. So, you know, we have to. It's our duty to our children and um, to ourselves um, to live in hope. Um, and to to lead our lives in a positive way um, and thinking we can make a difference instead of feeling that we're powerless um, in the face of change. Have there been women in your life that have had a really big influence on on your courage? I mean, who, who do you which women do you admire for their for their courage and influence on you? Well, actually, Marie Curie. I, I did a, a project on her when I think I was about eight, um, and she really inspired me um, because. You know, she did something really dangerous, um, you know, working with radioactive materials. She did something, you know, almost unheard of in those days for a woman to be working in a scientific environment. Um, and I, I just thought, you know, her persistence and perseverance and actually, you know, in the end dying um, for, you know, the sake of, of science and to, to progress science was, was incredibly inspirational. Um, another woman who was very inspiring to me was our headmistress at my high school. Um, because she was very progressive and liberal, and I grew up in apartheid South Africa, and um, she just wouldn't allow, even though she was employed by the government, she didn't allow them to dictate how she told us to lead our lives. And so um, she refused. Um, she took a real stand um, when the government wouldn't let our school um, compete against um, schools that admitted black pupils. Um, and I just... I just remember thinking, you know, you could use your job over this. Mm -hmm. And she was absolutely fearless in saying it was an absolute outrage that we weren't allowed to swim against those schools. And she said if we couldn't swim against those schools, we would have to drop we'd drop into a, a lower league um, in order to, um, you know, counteract what the government was saying. So um, she was incredibly inspirational um, to me um, because she really – she was prepared to risk her own career – um, to stand up for um, something that at the time um, was not the dominant view, you know, in yeah. South Africa. So um, I think, you know, she was a great influence on me in many ways. Sounds like a, a fantastic woman. <laughs> no, she she really, really was. Mm. Um, I mean, many things, you know, that's um, very strict, very scary. Oh, my God, she had purple hair and um, was really tall. Woman. She would loom up out of the gloom when you were doing something naughty. She'd always do catch you. Um, but she said, no, she said things like take time to smell, smell the blossoms. And I, I do that every spring. I always think of her mm -hmm. and I go and out and smell the blossoms. And, you know, she taught us many, many lessons, um, about kindness. Um, we had to, each of us, even though I couldn't knit, we had to knit a jersey for a disadvantaged child every year of our school career. Um, you know, the importance of service to others, um, many, many lessons, um, mm. she taught me. So, 
yeah. I think those those strong those strong role models are so important. Aren't they? The, the headmistress of my girls' school recently passed away, so we've been reminiscing with stories about her and just remembering her presence and and the mm. fact that that she didn't have to say anything; she just had to be there. And and you know, you you had this this, uh, this courage coming out of the pores of this. Well, woman. I used to be um, chronically scared of needles. I mean, I would shake and quiver a week before I had to have any kind of inoculation or injection or blood test. My poor husband used to have to come with me, take time of work to come with me and sing songs to me. And they'd always try and ask him to leave the room. And I'd always say, (laughs) if you ask him to leave the room, you will have a patient lying on the floor because I can tell you now I'm going to collapse. And they never believed me. They'd try and send him out. And then I just, all my veins would collapse and then I'd collapse and faint. Um, So it used to be a huge drama. I'd cry like a child. Um, It was a phobia I actually inherited from my mother because I remember very clearly her holding me while I was inoculated as a young, young child and thinking when I was young that I didn't want to grow any older because that meant that I'd be closer to my next inoculation. I mean, it was a very strange, (laughs) very, very intense phobia. Um, And then when I became a hypnotherapist, I obviously had to work on this because I just felt it wasn't really fair. Um, to my clients not to have overcome my own phobia so I actually did do self-hypnosis on this one and now I had to have I just recently went to West Africa and I had to have five um, injections in a very short space of time Um, and I took myself off to my favorite place of relaxation did some breathing and I managed to get through um, all of them and all the crying came later because my I think it was my hepatitis B injection just hurt like crazy and I woke up in the night like crying but it was really funny to be crying you know a few days after the injection rather than on the day of the injection so um i also went on holiday once to central america and i used that whole six-week period um to challenge any fears well, not any because it wasn't there weren't all opportunities for every fear but many of the fears that i had so such as jumping into water that i couldn't see the bottom um climbing up very tall um mine pyramids um even holding a tarantula so that whole holiday, I just thought I really wanted to get out of my comfort zone and move into my stretch zone. And I'm very proud to say every single challenge that I posed to myself, um, I managed to succeed at, including the tarantula. And I even liked holding the tarantula. I was actually sorry when my poor little tarantula was taken off my hands. <laughs> I'm, I I don't I, I can't imagine doing that. <laughs> no, it's so funny. It's like a little hamster. It actually feels they're so heavy and they don't scuttle. I think it's different. If I got a scuttly um, tarantula, I might have been a different, uh, you know, made, might have been a different story, you know, conquered. And I can't think of anything off, offhand now. But I think, um, you know, there's many challenges in life um, that if you've overcome other phobias or fears, you build up a, a strength and a resilience and it gives you the courage to tackle other things as well. So is so there, no, is there nothing, there's nothing you're afraid of now? Um, I mean, obviously, I wouldn't want to be attacked walking down the road, um, but I don't live in fear, no. Um, mm-hmm. I've, I've really used this, um, you know, to, well, I just think in life, you make a choice and it's in any situation um, to live in fear or live in hope. And so I even have a little mantra that goes, you know, out um, with fear and doubt, in with um, courage and conviction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I use that a lot um, in, you know, the recent health crisis that my husband's experienced and in marathons as well um, because, you know, I still find marathons really tough. And I recently, and I found that quite challenging. Um, and I did a lot of positive self-talk, you know, you are fit, you are strong, you can run this half marathon. And I said that over and over and over again. And I also said out with, you know, courage, because there were quite a few times along the way that I actually thought of throwing in the towel. 
And um, then I was so lucky because I met so many interesting people, one of whom was running um, in honor of her cousin who'd committed suicide. And she was really struggling. She wasn't a runner, but she was doing it in his honor. And she showed me the place on the cliff where his ashes had been scattered very recently. Um, and I kind of just felt at that point, how can I drop out? I mean, I'm a really experienced runner and I'm just feeling a bit lazy um, and a bit out of my comfort zone right now. And so she kind of pulled me forward. And the next minute it was 10 miles. And I just thought, even if I miss the cutoff, um, I still want to say I finished a half marathon um, today. And I did. So I think, um, you know, this, this fearlessness, um, it stays with you. Like once you, once you get in the habit of it, you know, it never leaves you. And you, and you do find, you know, those reserves within yourself um, whenever you need them. Mm, that's fascinating. Um, so I'm struck just talking to you really about how much of your fearlessness has come from people around you, but also how much of it is attributed to finding your own fearlessness and taking actions yourself to help you progress and become and become fearless particularly yeah absolutely i mean you do have to take control because no one you know it's it's very seldom that someone is going to come and show you a way to expand your comfort zone into a stretch zone um you have to be the one who takes that decision and i think it's i've, I've realized now it's a little bit like um cold water swimming um i love cold water swimming but you mustn't even put one drop of seawater on me before i'm ready i like to do it at my own pace and I think building up courage, it's, it's better to do it at your own pace than be thrown in the deep end and find you don't have resources when you need them. So, um, you know, I do try and, like, for example, one of the things I want to do now is um, tackle um, orienteering. And I can't, I honestly, if you give me a map and you say which way, left or right, I can guarantee you whichever decision I take will always be the opposite one. So, you know, I'm really hopeless at map reading, but I just thought it would be a really new dimension to my my running. And, again, put me in a kind of – slightly uncomfortable place where I'm not sure I've made the right decision. I might be running 10 kilometers in the wrong direction. Um, but I think it's always important, um, you know, to keep finding little ways like that, fun ways sometimes like that one, um, to challenge yourself. Fantastic. Well, we look forward to uh, the next book, maybe about being lost and <laughs> trying to follow, <laughs> trying to follow a map. <laughs> Thank you so much, Lisa. It's been really lovely to speak to you, and uh, I've, I've really enjoyed it. You've you've certainly given me some food for thought, and I'm sure the listeners will be thinking the same thing too. So, thank you very much, and and good luck. No, thank you so much. It was lovely talking to you too, Juliet. Thank you. Bye. Bye. 261 Fearless Voices has been brought to you by Bose. If you want to learn more about 261 Fearless, the global women's running network, go to www.261fearless.org.